We're gonna see how this this thing works. I may I may have Annette preach next week and see how this works. See if she she might get her stamp of approval on it. John chapter eight. Uh, we ministered last week on something that's real powerful, but that hasn't been really employed much in our culture, and less and less as we go on. And that would be living by faith, or as we talked about last week, living by conviction. Can you say that with me? Living by conviction. What does that mean? What does living by conviction mean? Well, a conviction is a lot of things, but it's something that's settled inside of you that's unchangeable. It, it's, it's the rock or the corner or the post that's in your life that doesn't move. We are people in America that like options. Who we like our options. You know, if you lived in a country that was totalitarian or some sort of dictatorship thing and you didn't have options, then you get a mindset where you don't really expect options. But in America... We are the land of the option. We have choices. Lots of ways to do anything. You can live wherever you want. You can drive whatever you want. You can work day times, night times, not at all, all the time. You've got options. You can have 60 kids or you can have no kids. Got lots of options. And so that's permeated our, uh, our spiritual culture where we don't really want to have a conviction, something that doesn't change, because we want to be able to change our mind and go a different way. So people are not very decisive, not very anchored, because they want to have their options. Look in verse 32, what the Lord Jesus said. Uh, he said in verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Barry, I didn't get you any scriptures again. Doggone. Here we are. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's point to ourselves and read that to ourselves. And I shall know the truth, and the truth shall make me free. Now, that's the truth right there. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Lord Jesus said. He said, if you will know truth, then you will be free. Well, everybody wants to be free. We have a very liberal definition of free in America, and that just means you can't t you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. We pretty much say that about everybody and everything. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, the word know is what we're going to look at this morning. You shall know the truth. Now, if we just uh, uh, took it as a literal English word, we would probably just say, if you had knowledge, if you just had knowledge of the truth, then that truth that you just knew about, knew about, would set you free. Like we know that you put gasoline in cars, unless you have a diesel, you, you put gasoline in there. So we know that, but we really don't understand a lot about how that works and the process of it. We just know that it works. Well, we may know some things about truth, but that doesn't necessarily make us free. Look at the word here. It says, ye shall know the truth. The word know there is a word that means that you don't really know this truth until it is resolved, until you have taken the truth and examined it, took it apart, 
looked at it from every angle, every facet, every degree, and finally resolved it and says, I know that. Now, the truth is, now everybody in here, you believe that you know who your parents are. But the truth is, you don't know anything about who your parents are. You only know what you know because they told you what you know. But you were, and you were there when you were born, but you probably don't have a lot of recall about that situation. You probably don't know if you were switched at birth or if you were exchanged or if somebody upgraded, traded you back in and said, I'll, can I give $100 and get this kid over here? We just think we know some things about our heritage. Even in this Ancestry.com now, they can uh, do a DNA on you. And they can bring you a percentage of your Scandinavian, your African, your Oriental, your whatever, and find out who you really are. And you think you know who you are. Well, the same thing about the Word of God. You may think you know the truth. And based on when I was a Baptist, I thought I knew all the truth. But I didn't know anything. Because I had only looked at it through one side, one angle, and one avenue. And so I really didn't know anything, but I thought I knew all of it. The word know means to have to be resolved, to be sure, to understand, and to know absolutely. So you have to find out who you are uh, beyond your physical being. You have to find out who you are by going to this. You think you know who you are based on feelings, based on uh, desires, personality, you think, well, I'm this person and I'm that person. Uh, in our culture, even gender's not nailed down anymore. You don't even know who you are. National Geographic did an article. I read it and said there's 32 professed gender variations and deviations in the world right now. 32. And I thought it was just, you know, A and B or 1 and 2 or, uh, you know, on or off. I thought it was, but 32. You know, you're a little of this and a little of that. So see, people don't even know who they are. We have to find the Word of God and find out who we are. Because you may not feel like you're more than a conqueror. You may not feel like you always triumph in Christ Jesus. You may not feel like you're the head and not the tail. But the Word says you are, and feelings have to take a secondary mode. So the word know here means to have an intimate understanding. So lots of people... Buy a vehicle. I actually bought a pickup the other day, and I realized after I'd signed the paperwork that I hadn't even driven it. It's like, what? And I told Colin that. That was a mistake. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, Dad. He, he, he's already real concerned about me anyway. He already, he already doesn't think I'm able to function on my own. He said, you what? You didn't drive it? I said, well, I just knew. I just knew down in here this was the one, and I didn't drive it. And then, I, then the seat, it didn't have electric seats. I said, I didn't notice that because I didn't drive it. So it was made for a tall person. You know, if it's not electric, they have to make it one size fits all. So I did sit in the seat, but I couldn't see over the dash. <laughs> so so I, had to get a, I had to get a lift kit for the chair and the whole thing. But anyway, <laughs> I should have done a little more examination. And we should do a little more examination about who we are, and about the truth that will set us free. Otherwise, you're going to be bound and not even know you're bound and not have the truth. Um, I'm going to translate to know the truth. This right here, you shall know the truth. I'm going to take those three words right there in my Bible, 
and put an arrow out there to the word conviction. Because everything about the definition of know, which means to be resolved, to be sure, to have an understanding, to have an intimate understanding, to know absolutely, tells me that there's something that when you know the truth, you it's such a, such a deep understanding, such a confidence, such an absoluteness that you could call the word conviction. That there's something inside of you that says, I know that I know, and I'm not moving off of it. You know, if you have a prenup when you get married, you don't have a conviction about the person you're getting hitched to. Is that right? Would that be, would that be to say there's no conviction if you have to have a, an escape clause? It might be smart because you don't know, you know everything about it, but that just means you haven't done enough investigation. You don't have an inter- understanding. The same thing with about the Lord. We may know that we're going to heaven. I know that I know, but you haven't been, and you don't know anybody that's been. You just know what you know from believing this. This substitutes for having a face-to-face or a, 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 a different kind of understanding. You, become, you have a conviction that when you leave this earth, I'm going to heaven. How many convictions do we have in here this morning? Everybody, we're going to heaven when we leave this earth. How do you know that? Well, I just know that I know, and that's what we say. I know that I know. Well, Jesus said here, if you will have that same understanding about truth, the truth that you have a conviction about will eventually set you free. We could look at finances. Lots of people are struggling in their money, having enough. It just doesn't seem like there's... Ever enough, no matter which way they go, uh, uh, almost getting enough, then something sideways uh, comes at them and they don't have enough. We have to have a conviction coming from understanding that I know that I know that I know that my needs are supplied. So I wrote down here that a conviction is something that you have that has no options. Let's point to ourselves and say, no options. Now, that's a conviction. Now, I've dealt with people, and I'm sure you have. Maybe you are one of them. I've certainly been one, that I believed in healing, but I wanted some options. I don't know, and you maybe could tell uh, for yourself, if you have health insurance, if you really have a conviction. Because a real conviction, a real believing with an intimate understanding to know absolutely would say, I don't need health insurance. I don't even need a doctor because I know that I know. But I have health insurance. You have health insurance or you have some option. You know a doctor. You've got one on speed dial. So that would just be something we'd have to work out. Uh, Really, what is our conviction? In America, to contest health insurance, to say your faith is not completely developed or not completely absolutely sure because you have health insurance, is just practically heretical. Like, no, in America, we can have health insurance and have a conviction about believing in healing. But I'm not sure that's true. How about you? It's something to think about. It's like, okay, that's an option. If my, if, if my prayer doesn't work, if my faith doesn't work, I always have this net over here to catch me. That's why we have savings accounts. Paul didn't have a savings account. 
He just lived by the supply of the saints that came through people that had convictions. But I have a savings account. How about you? I mean, it doesn't have much in it, but I got a little dab. Had $200 in it the other day. <laughs> it's not a very big net. It's not going to catch much. It's not going to save you much, but hallelujah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just examining this because I notice that when we have options, we're not free. We have little fears about, well, I believe, but, and it's that B-U-T that follows that's filled with a list of options. Well, you know, Uncle Jack might give me a hundred or, you know, or, or, or Granny Clampett might could, you know, brew me up a, a, a remedy for this trouble I've got. Uh, that's what we called Debbie's mother was Granny Clampett because she, she always knew the way around it with herbs and spices and stuff like that. Okay, a conviction is when you identify yourself with truth. There's no, there's no room between you and truth. You resign yourself, completely give yourself over to truth. Show me the truth, and that's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to become. That's what I'm going to identify with. I have no opinion about it. I have no preference. Whatever truth is, that's what I want, and that's called a conviction. If you want to argue and fuss with the Word, you don't have a conviction, do you? Because you want options. You want to be able to say, well, something might come up that the Word doesn't really do it the way I want it to do, so I want to be able to do, do it another way. A conviction, then, let's take God Himself. He will never act apart from truth. Would you all agree with me on that? God will never do something apart from His Word. He will not decide unilaterally, in this case, this is going to be better than truth. I have to do it for the long haul and did it. Even when Satan, when Lucifer uh, broke ranks in heaven and uh, took a third of the angels out, God could have whooped him with just the breath of his nostrils, with the uh, word of his power. He could have wiped out a created being, Lucifer, and all these angels. But he decided not to because he's a God of truth and he had a conviction about it. Even when the Lord Jesus went to the cross and all that he wrought for us, that was God going through a legal process to give us life rather than just destroying the devil and destroying sin. He'd already established truth through his word and he stayed with the word. A conviction is the same thing with you and me. When we stay with truth, even though it might not be the best for a short term, it might not even be what we want, but a conviction stays with the truth. It's when you give your vows in a marriage ceremony and you say, I am convicted to love you, to hold you, to keep you, to have and hold from this time forth. A conviction says, that's the end of that. I'm not changing it because I gave my word. We don't like that in America. We want options. Hallelujah. So God says in his word that if he ever ceases to uphold the truth or uphold his word, that he has to cease to exist. There's only one thing that will destroy God is if he ever becomes something apart from who he is, which is truth. He cannot and it won't happen. 
we are of supposed to be the same thing. When we find a truth and we become intimately uh, attached to it, then we don't change and we don't have options. So I say there's very few Christians that have convictions that they're unwilling to visit and look again and change. Think about right now, think about anything that you have in your life that you'd say, this is an unchangeable tenet in my life, and I will never change from it. One thing we could all think of is, is the, the lordship and the saviorship of Jesus. Would you all say that was unchangeable? We're not going to get Buddha to give us a better deal. We're not going to give Muhammad to pitch us a truth that says, you know, I think that I've been bamboozled. I think Muhammad's got the real stuff or something like that. We're all sure that we're not even going to visit it. We're not even going to think about anything but Jesus being our Lord and Savior. Isn't that it? I mean, we, we would the anchor there and say that's unchangeable. But the further we get from that, we may adjust because there's lots of ways to look at the Bible, lots of ways to look at how truth plays out, and we want options as a people. But I want to ask you something because uh, I had to ask myself. Can I be honest with me? Can you be honest with you? Things that you say are convictions, are they not really just opinions? Strong opinions, but not convictions. In other words, there could be a place, a tipping, where you would abandon your so-called conviction. Is there anything? Would you ever not tithe? Would you never not... Uh, 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 call on God for healing, just to take two broad, broad ones there. Really, is your opinion of your place in the kingdom, is it negotiable? Is there anything that would cause you, and I, this, is, this is tender, but, you know, to leave your spouse and say, you know, if you did that, Jack, it's over here. Those are negotiables. So we have to com come back and draw back in and say, Lord, what am I standing on that is non-negotiable? So, uh, let's go back to this verse 32. Ye shall know the truth. Ye shall know the truth. How will you know the truth? Well, how do you get to know somebody? How will you get to, like if you were single and you were going to... Uh, uh, court somebody or, or see if someone is compatible or see if someone would make a good partner in life, what would you do? Well, you would spend time with them. You would talk to them. You would listen to them. You would, you would find out what their desires are, what their future was, what their dreams were, and see if there's something there that fits with what you are, are doing. Well, the same thing about the Word of God. If you want a conviction... You have to examine it and become intimately aware of what it is. There's a big price to be paid to be someone that believes in healing. On our website, we have it that we believe that healing from God is available for anybody with anything every time. That there's no options out. Like, well, God doesn't always do leukemia, and he doesn't always do people that aren't Christian. And he doesn't always, we, we say there are no, God's, God's a God that's got everything covered. Would you all agree with me this morning that that would be 
God's side, even though we may have a different place where we personally can't apply it. Like, would you tell someone that rolled in here with a wheelchair, could you tell them straight up, today you will walk? Well, you got to have some yeah buddy inside. You got to have something that's been developed and that's permeated through the whole framework of your being to be able to just say, I am so confident, I am so persuaded, I am so intimately understanding the word and will and love of God that I can say that, that before you leave this morning, you will stand up out of that wheelchair. Now that's a conviction. Okay, y'all know where I'm going now, is that you and I want to be that person. Look at John G. Lake. What was different about John G. Lake than anybody else? Just that he had a conviction. He had that wheelchair, you will get up today, and I'll be back to you in 10 minutes. I'm going to go work on somebody over here, but I'll be back. Just stay right there, and, and Jesus will lift you up. The conviction just itself being spoken was enough to lift people up. Just the very confidence that he had in telling someone, Jesus will do it, God came in and backed him. Smith's work, Wigglesworth, the same way. Smith had some personal problems in his body. Uh, he had some bleeding in his body that he couldn't control or whatever, and uh, he, he worked on it with God, but uh, he, he actually had to wear a diaper under his clothes to, to, uh, not, to be able to minister long term. But it didn't stop him a bit. He had a conviction about what God wanted to do to other people. And if you listen to him, he was ruthless. Remember that time that, that they said that, uh, that, that he actually drop-kicked a baby into the wall? And, of course, everybody gasped, but the baby was healed. He actually punched a man that was, had terminal cancer, punched him in the stomach. And the doctor that was attending this man that was in the bed said, I will own you, we're suing you, you are finished, Smith, You are. it's over. And uh, Smith says, I know my business, and he turned around and walked towards the stage, and uh, the doctor was following him, yelling at him, screaming at him, we, we will sue you. And uh, he stopped in the aisle behind Smith, was just berating him, but the man, his, the patient, came up and tapped the lawyer on the, on the back. He was healed. We all would like to have that kind of power. And I'm telling you, the key is not an endowment from God where he just comes on you and says, I've chosen you, you special one, you, you anointed one, you, I, it, I've had you in my heart. Nope, it's really not that at all. John G. Lake wrote his friend after he had healed uh, 100,000 people in Seattle. In five years, they'd healed 100,000 people of everything. And he wrote a colleague after in 1920 and said, I perceive that I have no special gift in my life, that everything that I have done, that everything that has been wrought is simply by me believing God's word without backing up. No gift. Everybody thinks that he had a special gift, but he didn't, which means you and I can do the same thing. If there's no special endowment, if the Lord Jesus had nothing special about him that gave him the Son of God uh, power that says, I'm doing this because I'm the Son of God, but you're not the Son of God, you can't do it. But Jesus became as a man, and so you and I, because we already are as a man, we can do everything Jesus did. He said, the works I do shall ye do, 
and greater works shall you do. Because it's conviction. It's having a knowing that you know inside. A knowing that means I know and I'll act on what I know. So I believe this is just, this is a new subject. This is something I've been just working around in my own head. That the strength of a conviction is based on suffering through options. That when you need $100, there's a suffering between you getting the $100, believing God for the 100 Lord, I need $100. I got to take care of this. My baby is this, or I need shoes for that, or whatever. And there's a time lapse between you say, God, I need $100. And when you get your $100, there's a time lapse there where you exercise options. In other words, you can borrow it from Uncle Jack. You can sell the old stereo. You can, you got options. Or you can just stand on the word and say, I prayed, and that's the end of it. I have my $100. And somebody woke up. Uh, John G. Lake, when he went to Africa, he had been an insurance salesman and uh, very good at it. But he sold all that out, and he went to Africa. And in Africa, you can't get off the boat, or any nation, unless you can show that you have a certain amount of money with you. Countries don't want you immigrating into their nation to get on the welfare rolls. They don't want you coming and draining off of their society. So they make you show up with a certain amount of money. So he knew that. He didn't have it. He had five kids and his wife. He got in the line to get on the boat. And the porter at the front of the line checks your credentials your, to see your, your bank documents to see that you've got it on you. And the line moved and the line moved. And he had told, uh, I believe her name was Sally, Lucy, said, God will provide. And right before he got up to the front of the line, which means he wouldn't have got on the boat without it, a man stepped up and said, God has told me that you will need this, and gave him $2,000. And uh, John took it, thank you very much, showed it to the porter, and they boarded the ship and went to Africa and had a tremendous impact in that continent. Conviction. Sometimes you got to suffer while you wait, while you stand on it. There's a suffering in your soul. What if? What if? You know, how is God going to do this? But once you do it in a little area, you can do it in a big area. That time that Colin broke his arm and, you know, took the x-ray, it was broken, and we prayed and believed, and then went back Monday. His, uh, Debbie's mother took him, and we had gone to Tulsa to camp meeting, and uh, they took another x-ray, and it was good. Well, ever since that day, when there was no break, and they showed the x-ray on Friday, the x-ray on Monday, break here, no break here, it changed me. Now, Colin was really glad he didn't have to wear a cast, but it didn't matter to a nine-year-old. It didn't, you know, or whatever he was, but it changed me. Your testimony of a small conviction in some area where you just hold on and just say, no, 
The word says, and I believe it. You hold on and you suffer through it and you might do without for just a few more minutes than you think you can bear. But when it comes in, it changes you and puts something in you that causes you to be able to change your whole future. Amen? So, uh, plan B, that's what we call it in our society, a plan B. Y'all know what plan B is. Is plan A doesn't work, you have plan B. A conviction has how many plan Bs? Zero. No plan B. Until you get through your life to the place where you can test your conviction, you'll know what that means when you have no plan B. We will go hungry. We will, we will, we will suffer this. We will, do, we will walk instead. Of, we'll do whatever we have to do. But there is no calling Uncle Jack. There is no selling the, the sofa. We are not going to make a plan B happen. Now think about it. Now let me go to the, 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 the other side of it. How spontaneous could you be if you had no plan B? A conviction, a life of conviction that takes options out. Say you, you have a conviction about going to church, like Sunday morning. You just have a conviction. Lots of people do. I believe everybody in here does. It just says, we go to Sunday morning church. Y'all nodding your head. That's what, we have a conviction about it because the Bible says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the time approaching. So you get a conviction that just says, well, it's Sunday. We don't have options. Lots of people do. Well, the bed feels good. Now, let me tell you, the bed never feels better than it does on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the best. Sunday morning is cha-cha. <laughs> so you have to get a conviction. You have to suffer through getting up when it feels so good and you had such a hard Saturday night and na 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 The exception or the option will always come to undermine your conviction. So if you have a conviction, for instance, for going on Sunday morning church or for tithing or for, uh, uh, let's see, whatever, whatever, you get a conviction about the kingdom. It makes you spontaneous. It puts a stability in your life that just says, I know my conviction will produce. Therefore, I can get out on the limb over here and do something fun. Like give a missionary $100, for instance, because I know there's plenty more where that came from. You have a conviction inside of you about finances, for instance, that gives you liberty just to run and go. Because you've proved it. You have a conviction. God will meet my conviction, and I have no fear, and I'm spontaneous. I want to be more spontaneous in 2007, the rest of this year. I want to be more, that's why I put my, my Jesus party. You know, I wasn't looking for something to do and cleaning house and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I said, but I want to be spontaneous because I know God will help me. And so I just put it on the calendar. 
And I'm already a little nervous this morning just telling y'all that I've already told you, so it's out there, and so I'm committed, and so I'm in. And, uh, and, I, and so I called someone the other day and said, how do you have a party? Because I've never been involved in the food end and the game end and the, the I don't, I've always just let somebody else tell me this is what we're going to do and, and go vacuum that room and go, you know, go do what my part was. And I had to do it all. And it's like, this is really good for me and it'll be really good for you, but you got to have some convictions that God will catch you. Uh, I believe conviction is the source of all passion. When you have a conviction and you don't have options and you don't have plan B and you have an order in your life and you have a path or a track, it's not that you're bound to the track, but it means that that part is established, and from that established part, you can be spontaneous, you can be free indeed, then there's a great passion that lets you go. You can be uh, passionate about uh, people. You can't hurt me. You can just look at all people. I'm not concerned about you hurting me because I have a conviction that God loves me, and I'm good. If you throw me overboard... It won't matter. I'm good. I had a situation not too uh, recently where someone threw me overboard, <laughs> way overboard, and for a long ways out, and it didn't even bother me. And I told someone else that, that knew them, I said, it's not about me. It's not personal. It has nothing to do with me. This is inner turmoil going on in their life, and it has nothing to do with me. That comes from a conviction knowing that God loves me. And if you don't have that, you'll take it personal, and it'll, it'll destroy your life. It'll t you'll spend weeks wondering, what could I have said, and what did they mean, and who, who else knows about this? And it'll just tear you up. Never, it ne I never even flinched about it. Romans 14.23 says, Whatsoever, whatever is not of faith is sin. So let's look at that. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is simply missing the mark. Now, remember, Jesus solved the sin problem, so God's not mad at anybody because of sin. Jesus took care of the sin problem. Uh, whether you're born again or not, he took care of the sin problem. You can get born again just like that because Jesus already took the sin problem. Like the song we sang, thank goodness or thank God for the cross. Whatever it said, thank, thank you, Lord, for the cross. But missing the mark or sinning is not hard on God, but it's sure enough hard on me. It's hard on the sinner or the person that's sinning. For instance, if, um, if you were, when I was little, I shoplifted one time. I was five years old, and I was in, a, I was in a, uh, an old country uh, general store, and the candies just, you know in a barrel or a bucket or whatever, and on the way out, I, I cupped me a couple of <laughs> lemon drops or whatever, and my mother found out about it because, you know, I didn't have enough, at five, enough discretion to be able to hide it, and I'm telling you, she, she laid into me. It wasn't, it was serious. 
she put a conviction in me that this would never happen again. Do you all know that conviction that you can get from your mother laying hold of you? Well, it, it didn't bother God that I took the, the, this, this candy, but it bothered, it was hard on me. If you, if you, uh, a conviction takes care of sin. You're convicted of it, and you repent of it, and you get free of it. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 11, just for a moment, and we'll, we'll end with this. But I want you to see something with me. Whatever is not of faith is sin. We could also say that whatever is not of conviction is sin. Loosey-goosey believing or loosey-goosey faith actually never gets what the faith says it is. You know, when people say, I'm in faith, but if they're not in conviction, if they don't know the truth, you can't be in faith and you'll never get what you think you're believing for. Lots of Christians fail in their faith because they don't have a conviction about it. What does faith do? Faith is convicted. There's a conviction. I will have what I believe. We're pretty loosey-goosey about our faith. Well, I, yeah, I, I just believe I'll be better. That might or might not happen. It probably won't. You have to have a conviction that says, I am recovered. I am fine. Hebrews 11 says, now faith, or I could put the word conviction in there. Now conviction is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you could say of, a, of, a, uh, of an opinion, it's my opinion that God's going to bless me, and he might or might not, but if you have a conviction, blessing is coming. He goes on there in verse 6 and says, uh, For without faith or without conviction, it is impossible to please him. So God is interested in a conviction and everything else is something that's just forming up, that's still got options, still has uh, an opinion to it. It doesn't mean a thing to God. Our, uh, what do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Our good intentions are not convictions. Did you hear me? Our good intentions are not the same as convictions, but many Christians treat them. Therefore, when their faith fails, they're disappointed in God. This faith stuff doesn't work. I've heard it a hundred times. This faith stuff doesn't work. Well, they didn't have a conviction about it. They were hoping. They were, they were, they, it was a preference. They preferred to be healed. They preferred to get their finances lined up. So a conviction is something that you believe unto death. You believe that rather than have an option, you would rather die. And I know that's really strange. It's even, it's hard to put that into words, but a conviction is a serious, serious matter. And when it becomes that, your faith will always work. Do you want faith that always works? Then you have to become, have an intimate understanding, a confidence of absoluteness, of, of a surety, an absolute unflinching, un, undeterred uh, a knowledge of the truth. I know that I know. Just like I know I'm going to heaven, I know by his stripes I was healed. I'm going to go to 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 
says, You know who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Were you healed? Or were you not? Or was it maybe? Or was it sometimes? Or was it if I've been good and haven't been into something not good? What are the conditions and the options? What is the plan B to not being healed? Why do people not get healed every time? It's because of conviction. You have a thing down inside that says, it's done. It's finished. Doesn't matter how long it takes for it to look better or different. I know that I know. Whole action then carries that out. So I got to ask you, and I'm going to ask me. I ask me these things. I'm not just asking you. Are you fearless about the things that happen in the world? If you have a conviction, you're fearless. I'm going to point to me. You point to you and say, be fearless. Be fearless. To be fearless, your public persona depends on your private meditation. What you do is just like an Olympian that shows up at the Olympics. They're not, they're not asking, how do you do this? <laughs> Where's, how long does this last? Or what's the course? They have, they have worked on it and worked on it. and They have breathed it. They have lived it. They're consumed by the process. And when they show up at the Olympics, it's everything they were personally finally brought forth publicly. And that's the same way it is for you and me. Our convictions, you can talk about them and say, I have a conviction, I'm in faith, I'm sure. But it's all based on what you can do with what's inside. So, Father, we ask you this morning to help us because we need help. But, Lord, it's not hard. It's not because it's hard. It's because we've been religiously brainwashed to think that just knowing about healing and about the kingdom is the same as having a conviction, a deep-seated understanding and intimate absoluteness about your word being true every time to me, every time I act on it. Lord, I say to myself, I must change. I will change, Lord. So, Lord, I ask you to draw us all by Holy Spirit into the Scriptures, into the Word of God that gives us and, 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 and uh, brings us an understanding of your Word as absolute truth and evidence of your deity and your love towards us. Today, I change. Lord, I change today. I don't want to live a life without passion or without spontaneity. Therefore, I must develop. I must meditate. I must change till I know the truth and so that the truth I know sets me free. I ask you to help us, Lord. Help us, everyone. Give us a hunger, a desire for the Word to meditate it day and night, to live it, to breathe it, I ask you to help us recognize enemies of the word, things that would distract us and carry us off, people that would be enemies of our, our understanding with uh, things that are not true. Lord, help us stay away from them, guide us around them. Lord, let River Church be a bright light in Tuscaloosa County and Alabama 
not because of how good we are, but because we find out and lay hold of how good you are. I give you thanks for it, Lord, that you are changing us because we're willing to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I know that was serious. Last week was serious, and this week is serious. (laughs) This is serious, though. Uh, If you have family, and we all do, that is ever going to be facing a terminal death-inspired situation, you want to be already a person of conviction. You want to be able to say, Jesus has already got this thing fixed. Let me step up and do it. I want to be able to pray the prayer of faith that saves the sick. I want to have my finances lined up so that if I put $100 in the offering, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not spending the rest of the service thinking about what have you done? What is going on here? What are you going to do? I want to have a confidence that there's plenty more where that came from. Does anybody need prayer this morning? Anybody? We'll pray with you for you with confidence, and it'll change it. Amen? Everything good, Wesley? Well, I'm so glad. That is awesome. All right. Now, where are y'all going to be Saturday night? At the Jesus party. We're going to sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus.